This is the second part of the Social Justice Statement for 2020-2021 from Australia's Catholic Bishops. The title is To Live Life to the Full, Mental Health in Australia Today. Section 2, The Great Project of Community Integration. Through the Middle Ages and even up to the 18th century, the treatment of people with mental illness included public shaming, inquisition, banishment, incarceration, torture and execution. The false view that madness was the result of demonic possession, immorality or a punishment from God played a part in this history. The life of St John of God, 1495-1550, provides an example. St John devoted his life to the care of the sick and destitute and himself experienced times of great mental and spiritual anguish. He was subjected to, quote, the latest methods to try to bring him to his senses. His biographer says, The cures they used for such cases like his consisted of flogging and placing the afflicted person into a dismal dungeon. They used other similar methods as well, so that by means of inflicting pain and punishment, the patients might shed their madness and regain their sanity. So they stripped him naked, and tying him up by the hands and feet, they flayed him with a doubly knotted whip. In his ministry to people experiencing mental illness and destitution, St John established a hospital in Granada, the House of God, where people were treated instead with charity and love. The development of the sciences of psychology and psychiatry in the 19th and 20th century recast this issue of mental health as a medical one. Asylums for the insane were established to treat people in a secure environment, away from the mainstream of society. Psychiatrists began to develop standards for the diagnosis of disorders. Psychological therapy and advances in medication led to an approach in which the diagnosis, treatment and cure of ill health sought an end to long-term institutionalisation and promoted the release of patients back into society when they were well. But mental hospitals were often overcrowded and patients were exposed to inhumane and abusive conditions, often indefinitely. Hence, the asylum model gave way to less custodial and less segregating community-based care. The Program of Deinstitutionalization. In the late 20th century, Australia began closing its mental health hospitals and reintegrating people into the community to receive medical and psychosocial support. This process reduced the number of acute psychiatric beds from 30,000 in the 1960s to around 6,000 by 2005. In the early 1980s, the New South Wales Inquiry into Health Services for the Psychiatrically Ill and Developmentally Disabled, the Richmond Report, became the blueprint for the new model of care. Integrated community services, backed up by specialist hospitals, were to ensure that people living with mental ill health were cared for in a normal community environment. Early intervention, home-based care for people experiencing mental illness and, and adequate support for their families were stressed. 
The aim was to foster a supportive community where mental illness was destigmatized and the rights of people with ill health to social integration and opportunities for advancement were guaranteed. But there was a catch. The program would only work if it was preceded by the redirection of funding from the closure of existing hospitals to the development of community services. A decade later, the National Inquiry into the Human Rights of People with Mental Illness, the Burdekin Report, found the policy had largely failed due to inadequate funding. Because of the inadequacy of community mental health services, charities and the community sector, together with families and carers, ended up carrying much of the load. Inquiry Chair and Human Rights Commissioner Brian Burdekin labelled the deprivation, discrimination and stigmatisation still suffered by Australians affected by mental illness a national disgrace. Since then, there have been many federal and state inquiries, but they have not led to lasting reform. A national mental health strategy has been established and we now have the fifth National Mental Health and Suicide Prevention Plan. The Productivity Commission has recently been conducting a national inquiry into mental health and Victoria is holding a royal commission into its mental health system. The commitment of governments to the humanitarian principle of community integration was a great advance that is still to be fully realised. It is hoped that the current inquiries will ensure adequate funding for Australia's mental health system. We need a nationally agreed, implemented and evaluated mental health service model. The Missing Middle While Australia spends over $10 billion on mental health care each year, we still have disjointed and complex service systems that are difficult to navigate. They're unresponsive to the needs of people experiencing mental health crisis and lack capacity to provide a person-centred service across the continuum of care, ranging from consultation with general practitioners through to acute specialist care. There is a missing middle, a severe lack of specialist community health services and after-hours after care. The gaps between primary health care and acute care mean that people are falling through the system. They are the ones whose mental ill health is too complex for general practitioners, yet not severe enough to access limited specialist support. People who have special needs also face barriers to accessing care and getting the correct diagnosis. For example, it's very difficult for people with disability, particularly intellectual disability, or those within the deaf community, to find appropriate services. Access to care is limited where services in public health are stretched, and care in the private system, particularly for those without insurance, is unaffordable. There has been a significant increase in people attending emergency departments, but these are often busy and ill-equipped to assist and turn people away or refer them to another hospital. Patients are also at risk of being discharged prematurely from acute mental health units due to the limited number of beds. This is not a criticism of mental health staff. 
we commend the commitment and hard work of doctors, nurses, community care workers and volunteers who are often overstretched in their service to people who are vulnerable and distressed. They have faced pressures over many years as a result of rapid policy changes, increased demand, funding and staff shortages. The impact the National Disability Insurance Scheme will have on access to mental health services and on staffing and employment in the sector is also uncertain. We commend the mental health support provided by volunteers and staff of Catholic organisations, including the Society of St Vincent de Paul, Catholic Care, our hospitals, schools and community health services, and the wide-ranging work of religious orders. Catholics can be very proud of their efforts to bridge the missing middle. Unsung Heroes The burden of this policy failure has been borne largely by informal carers, often family and mostly women. They have picked up many of the responsibilities once budgeted for and funded in the mental health institutions of last century. Over 970,000 Australians are caring for loved ones who experience mental ill health. The cost of their care is valued at up to $15 billion each year. Personal fulfilment, companionship, a sense of service and devotion are all part of caregiving in close relationships. However, the level of need and emotional and financial stress can also take their toll on these unsung heroes of Australia's mental health system. Foregone employment opportunities, diminished social networks and reduced income and savings are common experiences of people caring for someone with severe, complex and prolonged mental ill health. Carers are themselves experiencing high levels of psychological distress as a consequence. It has been estimated that carers experience clinical levels of depression at a rate over 75% higher than the general population. Falling through the system The circumstances of people who are falling through the system demonstrate the mental health system's failure to provide adequate community care. Two groups most vulnerable to mental ill health are people who are homeless or in prison. People who are homeless experience a much higher incidence of mental ill health than the general population. Some estimate as high as 80%. Mental illness is both a cause and a consequence of homelessness. The inability to negotiate rental markets or the supported accommodation systems with the lack of other community support puts people at high risk. And being homeless, living in poverty, with all the uncertainties and fear of harm and violence is a cause of high levels of psychological distress. The lack of secure and affordable accommodation is the greatest obstacle to treatment and recovery. People who have mental illness and who have been in psychiatric hospitals or in transient accommodation often lack living skills. They need ongoing support at assessed levels to be able to budget, buy food, cook, clean, maintain hygiene and link to community services. Otherwise, they're unable to sustain tenancy and become homeless again. 
The Housing First model of housing and support has been proven worldwide to be effective in ending street homelessness, including for people with mental illness and also dual diagnosis of mental illness and substance abuse. Without a home and the right support, the most vulnerable are caught in an ongoing cycle through homelessness services, boarding houses, emergency departments and acute care. And then there is the risk of exposure to the criminal justice system. Mental ill health does not equate with criminality and violence. However, exposure to the criminal justice system does increase when adequate community supports just aren't there and people experiencing extreme episodes become a danger to themselves or others, often on the streets. The police find themselves the default first responders where services are unavailable, particularly after hours. Clearly, we need community mental health services that are accessible and mobile 24 hours a day. Around 40% of people coming into prison and those being discharged back into the community have a previous diagnosis of mental illness. They are 10 times more likely than the general population to report a history of suicide attempts and thoughts of suicide. One third of inmates reported being homeless in the month prior to incarceration and 54% expected to be homeless on release. The interplay of poor mental health, homelessness and incarceration demonstrates the failure of the mental health system to intervene early enough and through the course of people's lives to support them in their families and communities. The poor implementation of community integration has seen the most vulnerable re-institutionalised in today's boarding houses, shelters and prisons. Those who have fallen through the system show us what's needed for a properly functioning system. A significant increase in funding that is quarantined and budgeted with independent oversight and public accountability. Coordinated person-centred care from early intervention to acute care and aftercare across clinical, community health, mental health and housing, social services and charities. Improved and prioritised services for people with serious, complex, enduring conditions. Improved mental health services and the provision of face-to-face -face services where they're lacking for rural and remote communities, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, those of culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds and for people who are homeless and incarcerated. And improved professional support to carers who are unaided and isolated. Without such a commitment, the system will continue to fail vulnerable people and the community as a whole. Caring for the whole person in community. We do not believe that mental ill health is caused by a moral failure or that it is a matter of character. Suffering from a psychiatric disorder or experiencing psychological distress is not a sign of lack of faith or weak will. Throughout history, we can see that people of strong faith and great holiness also experience mental health challenges. 
the account of Jesus' own distress and suffering in the garden at Gethsemane makes it particularly difficult to sustain a claim that mental distress should not be part of the Christian life. There are many accounts of psychological distress in the Bible. For example, at one point, Elijah is so despondent that he asks God to take his life. And Naomi, in the book of Ruth, is so distressed that she renames herself Mara, or bitter. God's response to Elijah suggests an integrated approach to mental health. An angel appears to Elijah, tending to the physical needs of his tired body, and later God approaches Elijah gently in a whisper, addressing the source of his despair. The story of Naomi and Ruth highlights the importance of social support in times of psychological distress. In neither case does God chastise the one who is suffering or coax them to pray more or to repent of sin. The account of the Gerasene demoniac who is living in a cemetery among the dead and exhibiting behaviours that suggest mental ill health is a story of the dignity of the person in community. The man himself, while still ill, takes the initiative and runs towards Jesus. When he is cured, the man is restored not only to health, but also to community. He is freed from the stigma of mental ill health. Furthermore, he is invited to participate in Jesus' mission and becomes a witness. He is sent out to proclaim God's action in his life. Some instances of mental illness may be explained and addressed by a purely medical approach. However, a more holistic approach is often needed because human beings are a unity of body, mind and spirit, and we are persons in community. Mental ill health and the suffering that often accompanies it may be as much a mystery to be lived as a problem to be solved. Some suffering including psychological suffering, can be meaningful, potentially transformative, and even redemptive. Not everyone who experiences mental illness will recover, but all nonetheless share in Jesus' promise of the fullness of life. If we seek only to cure rather than to accompany people experiencing mental ill health, we will be of no help to people seeking meaning in their, their experience. We will not notice the action of God in their lives or learn what they have to teach us. It is precisely in the broken, powerless and despised that God most frequently speaks to us. Like all members of the body of Christ, people experiencing mental ill health are called to be witnesses in their own way. And that concludes the second part of the Social Justice Statement for 2020-2021 from Australia's Catholic Bishops. The title of the statement is To Live Life to the Full, Mental Health in Australia Today. The reader was David Brennan. You can find a copy of the text and other resources on the website of the Australian Catholic Bishops Conference Office for Social Justice. The website is www.socialjustice.catholic.org.au.